Welcome to Love's Last Call with Evangelist Carol Ann of Agape Light Ministries. Please open your hearts to hear an anointed message that will encourage and empower you to walk in the love and light of God's Word. Beloved, we are currently in our teaching series entitled Babylon Mystery Religion and the New World Order. And today we'll pick up where we left off in our last podcast with Constantine, who in 312 AD, as he was preparing to take Rome, supposedly had a vision of a cross in the sky with the words, In hoc signa vinces, which translated reads, In this sign you will conquer. While some maintain that Constantine became a true Christian, as we review the facts with Holy Spirit discernment, it will become very evident that not only was his a false conversion, but that he was actually chosen as one of the enemy's main agents in the creation of his masterful counterfeit to genuine Christianity. History indicates that Constantine took much of the mythology of the so-called cult of Mithras and carried it into his purported Christian conversion, which produced the pagan-Christian hybrid that we now know as Roman Catholicism. Even his supposed vision supported his pagan beliefs because it is said that he interpreted this mystical encounter as being orchestrated by his own pagan deity, which was the sun god, who he believed was sending him a messenger in the form of the Christian deity Jesus. This caused him the gross misunderstanding of the exact mechanics of how this vision came about, and is the main reason he remained a half-pagan and half-Christian until his death. As an example, when Constantine erected a triumphal arch opposite the Colosseum in Rome to celebrate his victory, he covered it with reliefs of Mars, Jupiter, and Hercules, and ascribed the victory to the power of the pagan sun-god, Sol Evictos Mithras, and not to Jesus or to God the Father. In fact, to commemorate this very unique 50-50 pagan-Christian split, on the coins that he minted after his so-called conversion, he put both the symbol of Christianity and the symbol of the pagan sun-god on either side of his coins. In 330 A.D., when his new capital, Constantinople, which is present-day Istanbul, was created, it was committed to the care of the local protecting deities, Ray and Taiki. Constantine then built pagan temples for them all over his new capital. At the same time, he claimed to be a Christian. Constantine's so-called conversion to Christianity from pagan idolatry was always a half-hearted one at best. He wanted to combine some of the best parts of paganism into his new religion, mixed with Christianity. And the so-called best parts included a new second god, a fake Mary, who was really the spirit of Semiramis in disguise, praying and bowing down to statues of saints, which were originally statues of the Roman gods, such as Zeus, Apollo, Mercury, and so on, which now held different Christianized names. The idolatrous legacy of the Catholic's custom of praying to these statues, including and even primarily to Mary, although many Catholics deny that they do so, is most definitely a throwback to the days when the pagan Romans worshipped many gods. 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, became the great mother to the pagans, and the cult of Mariology was officially born. Evidence of the Mary of Roman Catholicism's direct connection to Babylon are clearly witnessed in these similarities. Nimrod, as the sun god, was known to many as Baal. Semiramis, as the female deity, was called Belti. This word translated into English means my lady. In Latin, it would be translated as Mea Domina. This name becomes the name Madonna, which, along with my lady, are both names by which the Mary of Roman Catholicism is often referred to. The same reasoning can be applied to the name of Mediatrix, which their Mary is also called. But since the Bible teaches that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that one being Jesus Christ the Lord alone, it is obvious that the Mary of Roman Catholicism did not receive that title in a biblical way. She instead acquired it from Mylita, meaning Mediatrix, which was one of the names of the mother goddess of Babylon. The Queen of Heaven is another name for Roman Catholicism's Mary, which has been adopted from the pagan Babylonian religion as well. Even the Jews, when in their apostasy, worshipped the Queen of Heaven and greatly angered the Lord. In Jeremiah seven eighteen, it is written that the children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women need dough to make cakes for the Queen of Heaven. The second occurrence is found in Jeremiah four seventeen to twenty six. The Jewish men who answered Jeremiah said in verse seventeen, "But we will do everything that we have vowed, to make offerings to the Queen of Heaven, and to pour out drink offerings to her as we did." both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and had no disaster. Even as many Catholics do today, the apostate Jews not only worshipped the Queen of Heaven, but gave her the glory for their protection and provision. Thus it becomes obvious that the Catholic doctrine of Mariology where Mary is recognized as the primary deity, is pagan Babylonianism dressed up in pseudo-Christian terminology. And if there is any doubt to the credence of this reality, as we continue in our study, we will be addressing the many encyclicals that have been mandated by various popes down through the ages, and which hold their imprimatur, or official seal, indicating Mary's deity role as co-redeemer and mediatrix in salvation's plan, going so far as relegating Jesus' position of submission to his mother. But continuing with this portion of our message, we find that other Babylonian symbolism is recognized within Roman Catholicism, which bears additional proof of the paganism that has married itself to this masterful counterfeit to genuine Christianity. The rosary is a prime example. This relic was not an invention of the papacy, but has actually been around since the earliest recorded times, and is almost universally found in the pagan nations. It was used as a sacred instrument by the Mexicans, and is repeatedly referred to in the Hindu holy books. In fact, images of the goddess Diana show her to be wearing beads, again bearing witness that this Catholic ritual holds its origins in the pagan religions which stem from within Babylon's bowels. 
Another symbol of importance within the Babylonians' religion is the obelisks. The obelisks were found all throughout the areas of Babylon and Egypt, and down through history, have been transported to various places of esteem, including Washington, D.C. However, one of the most prestigious locations where it is found today, and which reveals a striking spiritual connection to Babylon, is in St. Peter's Square in Rome. In the Babylonian religion, obelisks served two primary purposes in worship. First of all, they were associated with sun worship. They pointed to the sun in a form of homage to it as the great life-giver. Yet these monuments also stood as sexual symbols which represented the phallus, which along with the sun was considered to be a symbol of life. Without a doubt, it is a perverse Babylonian symbol that represents everything that is unholy and in complete opposition to the one true God and His sacred word. And yet, in the center of the courtyard of the Vatican in Rome, at St. Peter's Basilica, stands a heathen obelisk, 132 feet high and weighing 320 tons. When seen from above, at the base, it looks very similar to what the Babylonians called the solar wheel, also known as chariots of the sun, which was dedicated to the sun god. Going back even further, it is a documented fact that a 130-foot obelisk was erected for the fertility goddess Semiramis in Babylon. Imagine that right in the middle of the Vatican's courtyard, and what is presented as representation of what Roman Catholicism teaches is the one true religion, lies Satan's signature. The same obelisk that stood in front of the highest pagan sanctuary of the Egyptians, and which is a continuation of the Babylonian mother-child worship that started with Semiramis and her incestuous relationship with Nimrod, who was both her son and her husband. And please understand that the obelisk that stands at St. Peter's is not a copy of the pagan phallic symbol from Egypt. It is the actual obelisk that was moved at great expense from Egypt to Rome. The emperor Caligula had the obelisk moved from Egypt to the Vatican Hill. The same obelisk that was worshipped for centuries in Egyptian pagan temples is now sitting proudly and blasphemously at St. Peter's Square, as a symbol of so-called Christianity and what many believe to be the Holy Mother Church. Some of these pagan symbols are mentioned in the scriptures as images of Beth Shemesh Heliopolis in Jeremiah 43.13, where it is written, He will also shatter the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he will burn with fire. Many other scriptures can be found referring to these obelisks as heathen images, as in 1 Kings 14.23, 2 Kings 18.4 and 23.14, Micah 5.13, and Isaiah 17.8 and 27.9. There is also a link between the obelisks found in St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican and the obelisks found at the Washington Monument, for each represent both religious and political power worldwide. To the Jesuits, Masons, Rosicrucians, and the Illuminati, covertly called Moriah, they all secretly stand for one world government. And as we mentioned before, the word Catholic means universal, 
a fact that is not lost when considering the Antichrist religious and governmental intentions to rule over all people on earth. And this is where we'll pause for today, beloved, but we have much more to cover, so I hope you'll join me for our next podcast. Until then, please allow me to leave you with 1 John 1, 5-6. And this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And, as always, beloved, I bid you his agape. You've been listening to Love's Last Call with Evangelist Carol Ann of Agape Light Ministries. If you'd like to receive a CD copy of this message or you have a prayer request, please contact us at Agape Light Ministries, P.O. Box 6313, Chesterfield, Missouri, 63006 or via our website at www.agapelightministries.com Again, that's www.agapelightministries.com